0: Well,
1: welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I really appreciate uh, those of you that are taking the time to listen and to reach out to me and comment or to comment uh, through the, the website or Facebook It's really neat with the podcast uh, to get feedback the uh, the thing about the very nature of a podcast you kind of feel like you're broadcasting into the abyss uh, like it's uh, Radio America here trying to <laughs> trying to reach out and and broadcast your message across whatever, uh, and so you don't get a lot of feedback that way. But I appreciate those of you that communicate and, and give me encouragement. It's it's fun to get that feedback, and it, it really helps uh, bolster, bolster my resolve to keep going and, and keep doing interviews. Speaking of which, I apologize for missing. I know I had, had kind of teased out that I was planning on doing a podcast every week through the end of the year, and we obviously missed last week. The reasoning behind that is just quite simple. Last week was just absolutely crazy. <laughs> so uh, the the thing with my uh, my marketing job, my my small business that I have. Uh, was really uh, ramped up. I was trying to help a client get a grant written, and that is not my strong suit. I do not like doing that, but that uh, really took up a lot of my time. But I got that out of the way and back on a regular schedule, so I've got uh, another great interview for you. Today, I'm talking with Scott Newman, who is in Oklahoma, and he's new. He's fairly new into Pastured Pigs. And I enjoy having these conversations with guests that are that are new. It's it's kind of fun to see uh, the angles that they're going for, uh, strategies that they have, maybe challenges they've already encountered. So uh, I think y'all enjoy this conversation, and I appreciate what Scott's doing here. Scott is a veteran, and he's looking at his pig operation be an opportunity to turn that into training for other vets. And I love this whole initiative, this this trend that seems to be forming with getting vets involved in agriculture. And my goodness, what a great fit if there ever was one. Uh, you know, these uh, young men and women coming out of the military uh, experience training. They have uh, usually have great resolve, have great ambition, uh, know how to know how to do a hard day's work. So it just makes sense that a good segue into farming would uh, would be a good play there. So I'm, I'll uh, jump right into the interview with Scott, and then we'll go over some uh, additional information on the back of the interview. Today we're speaking with Scott Newman, and he is in Oklahoma and uh, just actually starting his farm, uh, actually pig farm, and uh, he. he Right now, he, uh, he doesn't have a specific name for his farm, but his social media is tied to Angry Vet Ag, which I love that. So I are going to jump right in here and talk with Scott. Good morning, Scott. How are you today?
2: Good morning. How are you? All
1: right. Doing, doing well. Doing well. So Oklahoma right now, um, how is it weather-wise this time of year for Oklahoma?
2: It's cold and rainy. Cold and rainy. Yeah, um, sounds like West Virginia. sporadic. Oklahoma weather is always sporadic. We had a <laughs> ice storm run through here about a couple weeks ago
1: that's amazing yeah you think you know to me when I think Oklahoma being obviously right there at Texas I think well that's you know that's southern that you shouldn't be dealing with that kind of weather this time of year but I guess with the plains and the way everything just comes plunging down out of the north you guys get all kinds of fun stuff
2: yeah they don't doesn't there's nothing uh, normal about the weather here it's always
1: extreme yeah yeah I guess that's why they saved it to last to become a state (laughs) and closest to last All right. Well, enough about geography and uh, and uh, weather. So let's let's get and talk about. Let's um, uh, you have an interesting perspective, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast when when we were talking offline, uh, back and forth on, on email. That you, you you kind of felt that well, I'm just getting started. I'm not sure I have anything to add, but I I like having conversations with individuals that are just getting started, so we can we can kind of see, you know, game plan, look under the hood, see what, what you're thinking and then, you know, what challenges and expectations you have. So it's, um, it's something I enjoy talking with people about and I appreciate you coming on the, the podcast to share that conversation with me.
2: Yeah, um, I'm really excited to be on I've been listening to you for a while. Um, I think I'm, up on all your episodes
1: now all right well you listen to me more than my wife does then so good for you <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh, so let's talk about your setup right now in Oklahoma what uh, give me a, a 40,000 foot elevation discussion of of your setup and what you're working toward
2: so we moved on to nine acres in July um, and it was previously they had horses on it uh, so everything was just uh, three strand barbed wire and the horses were dug up the ground and mashed into the hard clay. Um, they were lucky enough that the people that owned it before us had put a six foot no climb fence around the yard, basically. Uh, so we started out, I, I wanted to get into, uh, homesteading a little bit. Um, and I was listening to the homestead journey podcast a lot. And he talked about pigs so much. I got kind of interested in them. And then, uh, so I transferred over to the Pasture Pig podcast and started listening there. Um, and then the next thing was I wanted to do heritage breeds. Um, so I started looking at different ones of those and uh, stumbled on, stumbled across Carl Blake in one of the uh, Pasture Pig Facebook pages, and we had a long chat about kind of where my head was at. And then uh, I decided to get a Mishan bull from him, and uh, I bought him pretty young, and then just kept them like a dog in the yard because I wanted them to be my friend and my buddy. Um, and then I uh, picked up two Berkshire gilts from Bainsley's Berkshires out of Arkansas. And uh, so we have three three pigs now, and I just moved them on to a second pasture, not in the yard. Um, I have two goats and six chickens right now.
1: All right. All right. So cool. So so I like this. So the, uh, the circle of life and the, the social network is... Is revealing itself pretty well in this story so you talked about brian wells we actually have an interview in the can with brian from homestead journey so he'll he'll be coming up soon for those listening um so i appreciate you talking with him he he's got some good insight on his uh, pig operation up there in new york excuse me and of course you know we we've talked to carl um regularly and in fact we have another interview with him in the bag as well so interesting so uh, you go to carl you get a and then you get some Burke. So I assume that's that's where you want to build your genetics. Um, from from your discussion and what you've researched, uh, Scott, why why do you want to combine those genetics?
2: Well, you know, I, I did a ton of talking with Carl, and uh, <laughs> the uh, Black Beauty breed that he's created, mm-hmm. I like the sound of it. I like the, uh, I really like the Michons, and I'm probably going to go back to just straight Michons because I don't really like the Burke. Um, they're a little high-strung for me, mm-hmm. but... uh and um, that black beauty cross that he's, he's created up there, I really like the looks of them and their meat quality. So that's kind of where I decided to go. I have some chef friends in the area and some, some roasting championship friends that I was hoping to get these pigs in the hands of. So I was looking for a good pig for that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I like what you said there. And, and let's unpack that a little bit. So the, the Michon obviously is a very chill pig. So you, you've got your boar, you've you, you got him um, young as a piglet. I, I like what you did there with keeping him in the yard, interacting with him, so he, so you have that uh, close connection. He's used to you being around him. So you get the Berkshires in, and you notice they're a little more wound up. What uh, what specifically have, have, have you seen that's uh, that's gives you a little consternation
2: towards them? Uh, well, you know, usually what I do is I put them on a. Like what I did with the Nissan, I put him on a little leash and walked him around the yard for a while. I kind of kept him in a kennel so I could make sure he you know, stayed, stayed safe, and then I would walk him around throughout the day, and then eventually he, he'd let me pet him, and he doesn't need the leash anymore. With the Berkshires, it was 100% a fight all the time. They never relaxed, <laughs> uh, so I just kind of let him off the leash and kind of hoped they would come back and be friendly later. And Right now, they'll let me pet them if they're eating, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's like let me a, in the yard. Yeah, yeah. Berkshire on a leash is like putting a cat on a leash. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's interesting. And, uh, I mean, obviously, it, it, it definitely illustrates the temperament of those two different breeds and what you're getting into there.
0: So,
2: yeah, so, you know, I'm getting into it. So, the research, I do about 50% research before I pull the trigger. I don't have whole lot of time to be reading so much, so I just kind of get in the area where I think I'm comfortable and pull the trigger, and with the Berkshires, I was only thinking about making the cross, and I wasn't looking at any of the temperament stuff associated with the breed, so I kind of (laughs) fell on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny. I, I think people would, would probably even you know, people that are listening that are big Berkshire fans probably would be saying, "Wait a minute, now mine mine are mine are not that worked up, or mine are mine are okay." And but it, I, I think it's a matter of perspective as well because if you've been around a Mischon, then you you see how relaxed they are. So um, you know when I think of a Berkshire, I think yeah they're 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 kind of okay, uh, but they're nothing like a Durock. Durock is crazy, and my Durocks used to knock me around all the time, and and you're always leery to get in you know, isolated with them. So it is an element of relativity but I, but yeah I appreciate that perspective to say well yeah I, I like the uh, I really like the temperament of the Mishon but I would be curious to see how your 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 breeding's going to work out there. So what are the ages right now? When do you think you're going to have your first breeding attempt?
2: Uh, I'm thinking it'll be in January. Okay. So the birks were born May 10th or well yes in the in the summer um and then, um, so I'll be separating them from the niche on soon mm-hmm. so that they don't breed on their first cycle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can So speak. I'm thinking January is when our first breed attempt will be, so we'll have piglets in the springtime. Yeah,
1: yeah, that'd be good, yeah. All right, so um, you talked about acquiring these uh, nine acres that were, were horse farm, and of course, uh, horse farm not set up uh, very much at all for a pastured pig operation, but uh, so so what have you been doing for your pasture setup, and what are you what are you dealing with there? Did you have some some other than hard packed clay? Did you have some pristine pasture area there? Do you have any woodlot mix? Uh so I
2: have about six acres of pecan trees. Oh wow! Um, but that was the horse pasture, so it's all padded down, and there's some there's some good grass in there. Um, I have you know the horses wherever ever there was a cross bottom of it real bad, Mm. So it created these big trenches for water to go through and just kind of had some erosion issues there, so I've, you know, the people we bought this from left a tractor here, an old 1965 Ford
0: 3000,
2: so they left some implements, so I was able to get on that thing and run the farrowing disc through the worst parts of it, and then I uh, went back and planted ryegrass over it, and that's kind of the pig's job right now, they're yeah. getting that, so I can plant some stuff in the spring. Yeah, they are gonna definitely. stay on that pasture probably until spring, and I'll I'm gonna try to plant some melon type pl- uh plants out there, so they can have that when they rotate back through to eat.
1: Yeah, so that's pretty good. So uh, so when you you bought the place, they left behind a, a functioning tractor for you and some implements. That's that's nice of them to uh, to leave that behind to help you get set up straight out of the gate. <laughs> yeah.
2: I was pretty pumped about it. I didn't think the thing would run. Um, I just went and hooked my truck battery up to it, and it fired right up. Wow.
1: All right. (laughs) Good deal. It's kind of like, uh, I guess maybe they just decided, hey, we're done. We're walking away from it. We're not looking back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, probably, you know, I have a a disdain for horses. All you horse lovers out there are going to hate that, but uh, I have a disdain for horses, so I can understand how uh, a horse farmer would say, okay, I'm giving up. I'm just walking away. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I think they... They they just they moved um, because of the air force the military moved. There. Oh yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. yep. So it's and they kept the horses with them, but the horses just trashed that back pasture. Yeah. Um, See, I'd have, I'd, have have it. Have
1: I'd have kept hoping. I'd have kept the tractor and left the horses at the farm. So <laughs> anyway, all right. So um, so with this breeding, obviously, if if you're, you're going to breed in January and have a wing there, you know, end of April, Mayish. What, um, what's your strategy going forward here? Is this a, just kind of a, a analyze and, and observe this first year? Or are you going to sell these out as, um, as finishers? Or are you going to raise them all out for, for, uh, for cuts? What, what's your thought on this first go around?
2: So I'm thinking I'm going to sell half the piglets. Just, you know, as feeders, the mm-hmm. people that are local, that's kind of a, that's my goal right there is to get a little bit of cash for the, uh, to make it through the summer and finish out all the other pigs, um, and then this first year since we starting out, I'm going to be doing a lot of like, hey, I want you to try this pig. If you cover the processing fee and maybe a little bit of their feed cost, I'll, uh, I'll give you a pig. Yeah. Um, so you can use it in your, your restaurant attempts or whatever, um. That's kind of my first one, you know, family and friends and anybody else local. You know, I've been talking to people all around town, um, and they lo- love getting wild pork and I'd, or fresh pork, and I've been working on that just to get my name out there a little bit. But pretty much I'm going to keep it small the first year, just try to get it in the right hands so that I can have, you know, customer reviews and people that say that this pig's good-tasting. And, or if it's not, it's not. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. But I'm yeah. hoping it's going
1: to be good. Yeah. Yeah, well and that's and I think that's that's good to kind of stick your toe in the water with with different varieties of, of how to move those pigs and and just see how it shakes out. You know, with with breeding two gilts if you have two successful fairwings, you know, you could have, you know, 20 plus pigs, you could have 15 or less. You you just don't know. So that's that's always that um, you know that caveat going in. It's like okay, if we have this many, this is what we're planning to do. If we don't have that many, this is what we're planning to do. I've got uh, had a guy reach out to me this week saying, "Hey, I'd like to buy four pigs off of you." I was like, "Well, I haven't even bred my my sows again yet, so I'm not quite sure you know, what to expect." So, but that's good. That, that gives you at least an idea. These
0: times are supposed to be
2: extremely fertile, so there's no telling how many we get. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I know. I've heard Carl talk about you know high teens on on some of the stuff that he's he's put together there. So that's that could be some substantial litter sizes there. That'd be amazing to go from three pigs to have 30 plus and. In a day, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So let's come back and talk about your um, uh, your pecans or pecans. I guess it depends on where you're standing in the states. My grandmother was here. She was British. She would say pecans. Um, so how are you going to incorporate that into your rotation to where uh, you can take advantage of all that protein and, of course, protect the trees at the same time?
2: Well, that ice storm. Took about 50% of the tree mass down out there. Oh no kidding! Yeah, uh, I was real upset about it. Um, there's limbs all over the place, but so we're gonna see. Uh, they produced pretty good this year, and we have a bunch of pecans on the ground. And uh, you know, I, I still like watching the wildlife come in to eat them, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that for this year. But my guess is that'll be there. I'm hoping that. I'm gonna split the pecan pasture up into three spots and then the melons and vegetables and stuff will be a four spot. Not hundred percent sure which order I'm going to go into, but I was hoping to finish kind of behind my house on acorns. Yeah, okay, plus that'll be right by where I'm gonna be taking them out.
1: Yeah, yeah, so logistically That's looking I
2: wanting to load them.
1: yeah, so having it having it close to your corral loading area there will be the pasture they finish on, which makes sense
2: of my thought I know I'm, have a full barn and a pond and that's going to be kind of their sacrificial area and we'll just kind of do the whole rotate out through there with four different gates going to four different pastures
1: yeah so how are you how are you planning to manage water access uh, if you if you bust up all these uh, smaller pastures
2: um so I'm gonna the pond's kind of the central location hmm, very good so I'm gonna just have four different gates go into four different pastures, and when they come in to eat, I'll close the gate and open it up for the other pasture when I wanna move them.
1: Okay, so... That's my if, thought. Yeah. So the pond's kinda like the hub of a wagon wheel? Yes, exactly. Yeah, all right. What's uh, Do you know the size of the pond, roughly?
2: It's about a half acre.
1: Okay, that's a decent size, yeah. And I A little so- bit
2: bigger than I wanted because it, you know, it off and that means I'm giving such a big area for them to be in at all times. Yeah. But yeah, no, no fish in it, so I'm not worried about it.
1: Yeah and that's one of those things too. You can again observing to see how it goes when you have a if you have a larger group of, of pigs in there and they, you see that your your pond bank is getting a little mangled up then the beauty of a pond that size you could easily irrigate with some lift pumps out of that and, then, and if it's at the central location it wouldn't take much to provide water outside of the, the bank and, and clear that out if you need to. That's,
2: absolutely. That's, that's, one of my projects is getting power out there Yeah. so that I can run a, I have a pump or something like that I can run water from.
1: Yeah, so uh, you had mentioned that you had to take down a lot of barbed wire from the horse, which uh, farm, which kind of surprises me, I guess, teaches his own. I've, I've not known horse farmers to use that much barbed wire. but. Um, that's fun to work with I, i've run into that same situation we had a ton of barbed wire on our farm that we had to take down so are you taking down are you are you kind of keeping the same pasture areas defined or fence lines defined or are you just going ahead and taking it down and redefining everything there
2: so our exterior fence line i'm keeping and that is almost more work than in running new fence <laughs> because they just let all the cedar trees go right up through the fence oh yeah um oh so I'm running through with a chainsaw and trimming the sides of those off and running hog wire on the inside um, <clears throat> and then uh, in some cases I know a lot of people frown on it I'm nailing it right to a tree mm-hmm. um, just because that's the only way I can get this done unless I'm completely pulling the fence post out and sawing these trees down and rerunning fence posts but yeah. I'm just doing a section at a time uh, we just got that second pasture up we kind of Every paycheck, I run out and go get two rolls of wire and start working on it.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so when you're saying I had
2: one cross fence yeah. that I took out and that you're was good. a pain, but I used the T post for the rest of the other pastures. So.
1: Oh yeah,
2: yeah, very good.
1: So when you say hog fence, what or hog wire? What are you what are you referring to there?
2: It's the uh, four foot. Um, not the
1: welded wire. It's um, the woven. Yeah. Okay. So four-foot woven. Yeah. wire. Woven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh. Yeah. That's substantial. That's a substantial investment when you when you run out some of that uh, on a regular basis. What, three hundred and thirty feet is usually what a couple hundred bucks, at least in our neck of the woods, is. Um. I get a roll for about one
2: fifty right now. Okay. Yeah.
1: What are uh, are you incorporating the electric into that, or are you just going to have the have the uh, woven keep in the bag?
2: So. I really want the woven on the extra. Okay. Now when I when I start the rotational, that's when I'm going to incorporate the electric.
1: Yeah. Okay. That sounds solid. Yeah.
2: Because yeah, I, I don't I'm just real nervous about losing pigs. I don't want to have a just an electric fence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, we're right by the road. There's cows all around, and uh, you know, I got four dogs that love to go everywhere they want to. When that. That barbed wire doesn't stop them at all, so I'm hoping that hog fence will keep everything in, and then I can put electric on the inside of that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I think that's a good move. That's that's a good combo. the the, the will keep a lot of stuff from coming in, or the well the woven will keep a lot of things from coming in, and obviously deter the pigs uh, as they get bigger. Of course, they can they can push things on it, and get under it, but that that one strand of electric will break them of that real quick. <laughs> So no, I think that's a good plan, especially for perimeter fencing and, and keeping, uh, keeping the stuff that wants to come in and molest your pigs at bay. Good. You know, you, you mentioned something about uh, tacking your, your your fence directly to a tree. And, and you know, that's, yeah, I, I think people can debate both ways. You know, it, it's one of those things where you got to do what works for you at the time. You, you may come back a couple years later and, and maybe you say, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that. Or maybe like, hey, that, that saved me a lot of time and saved me some money. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, here in West Virginia with uh, all these steep hills and and and, and forest, I, I find that there's times where, hey, it just makes sense to go ahead and run a line down the trees, especially if I choose trees that I know aren't going to be something I'm going to use later on the mill. Then it, it becomes a free fence post type of thing, and it, it ends up saving money and saves time in the long run.
2: Yeah, I mean... Right through the middle of this barbed wire fence, and I'm trying to use the T posts that are already there to put my hog wire on. So the tree's there, and I need a post there, and it is what it is.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. Yep, yeah, exactly. You just you go what works. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's transition over to. Uh, you talked about a sacrificial area that you're going to have here in the winter time. Um, when it comes time for wing, what's what are you thinking as far as fairwing setup? Are you going to relegate them to a certain section? Are you going to do outdoor fairwing, just let them go? Uh, what, what's your so, thoughts?
2: Yeah, so I have, the, the previous owners had an extremely overbuilt chicken coop. <laughs> it was uh, railroad ties, bunking in the ground, going vertical up, two by sixes as a base, and then one by fours on top. and wow. so. I spent about three days tearing that thing apart because I wanted to run a chicken tractor, you know. Um, so I, I tore that thing apart, and then I used that wood to make a little farrowing pin under the roof that was the roof of the chicken. Oh, yeah.
0: And then
2: I um, put some hog panels around it to keep them in there. And that's what I was using for the Berkshires the first night here on the farm. That was a, so I put some hay in there, and then... You know, they're wild and they're running, and I was real nervous, so I went out to check on them, and they weren't in there. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm just sitting on the ground, mad at myself for losing two pigs. I just drove to Arkansas to get it. And then, out of frustration, I walk over to this little pen I built them, and I kick the hay, and I accidentally kick the pigs. I didn't realize they burrowed <laughs> that deep in there. You didn't see them, so. Great uh, <laughs> night good. on the farm. <laughs>
1: Yep, I know what that's like, man. You you go around, you you count pigs. Like I'm supposed to have you know, 20 or 14 or whatever, and you're missing a couple, and you get spooked, and then you realize that they're uh, they've tunneled down into something. They're hiding underneath something to get stay warm. It's, they're hilarious. Yeah. All right. So. Um, what about so? What about your feed? So, when it comes time to uh, you, you talked about some forage that you're going to have available for them. That's going to be some great supplement. Finishing them on those uh, acorns and, and pecans, possibly. What uh, what's your feed strategy right now for your your main source?
2: We had them. Do, uh, it's all conventional. Uh, there's a local feed mill, um, a local feed store that sells their stuff, and you know, building that relationship in the community is important. And saying, I think a uh, Oklahoma just started this whole Oklahoma bread, Oklahoma fed, packaging you can put on your meat, and you know I really like the whole support local stuff. So I go down to the local feed store and pick up some conventional hog grower, and uh, I was doing free feed out of uh, the little dog feeders, and uh, they started just going to town on that. And they were not, they were not rooting or doing anything like that. They're just eating all that conventional food. So. I took them off of that and I started doing, um, it's not fermented because I don't let it sit long enough, but I soak their food for about 12 hours and then give them a bowl in the morning and a bowl in the evening. Um, And that's part of the whole regenerating that pasture. I threw some wood chips out there and then I feed them on the wood chips so they're constantly standing on them and mashing them into the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah. Turning all that over. That's good. So yeah if you have sounds like you you'd mentioned clay base and of course coming into the winter months if you guys have the moisture like we do then uh yeah the wood chips and everything they're going to turn that pretty quickly so so that should be something that could be uh, ready for reseeding early in the spring yeah all right so um all right so let's let's move forward here so you've talked about um the, the possibilities of of, of um Raising these pigs, some some of you will sell as feeders, some of you are going to finish out for, for cuts. Um, what about, what's the processing situation like in Oklahoma? I assume it's, it's like what it is nationally right now, that there's a bit of a backlog. Have you started talking to processors yet and, and getting those relationships built?
2: I haven't. <laughs> I know I should have. Um, I think for the first year we're going to probably do everything in-house. Hmm, okay. um, um, that's just kind of my thought. Um, my dad used to raise pigs when he was young, and I'll probably have him come out, and we'll just process it for the family. I mean, we're talking, I might have four pigs here that we'll, we'll keep for ourselves, but everything else I'll be giving to someone else. Yeah, okay. Um, that, that's kind of my thought, and you know, I don't want to think a whole bunch of money in this if the, the breeding's not right. Right, right, yeah. You know, I know some people have talked about too much fat in meat, um and switching those read lines to something a little bit leaner. And so it's kind of a, a toss-up
1: to see what we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, that's really going to be, uh, and that's a good point to look at it, to not invest a bunch uh, in, until you really figure out how this lines out. So, yeah, you know, it won't be until, well, let's see if you fare me. So it won't be until, you know, this time next year, uh, maybe even a later where you're, you're actually able to inspect the quality of the meat that you're getting, and and see what it what it looks like, and, and make those assessments from there. I assume.
2: Yeah, we're gonna test the roaster out. Oh, okay, yeah. Sometime in there, so we'll get a little peek at it then. Yeah. Um. And we'll just see, yeah, how it goes from there. Yeah. My wife has told me we're not killing anything on the farm, <laughs> uh, so we have a little bit of a. That hurdle there, so I'm going to be selling most of my pigs, and they're going to get slaughtered, and they're just going to surprisingly end up in the fringes. Yeah, I get. <laughs>
1: understand? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know that's an area that you all can uh, navigate uh, through easily and uh, you know slowly, and just just kind of discuss that through. Is that, that I can understand um, the sensitivity in that situation.
2: Yeah, she's coming. She's you know she started like noticing the differences between store-bought meat, and it just it's kind of becomes a thing where she's like, you know, this farm-to-table thing should be more important to us, so hmm. you talked to me about that yesterday, so it's just slowly moving that needle
1: a little bit. So, yep, yep, that's what you do. You no know, heavy push, just just kind of let it ride, and, and usually that stuff reveals itself. Like you say, when you when you tear into that roaster for the first time, or you, you sit down with a, a Plate of pork chops or or some homemade uh, bacon. That usually is a very good convincing evidence. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, you go, you had outlet Farms on a while back, and I actually ordered some meat from them, and you could really tell the difference. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's 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 great, and and that's that's where it all starts, man. Is it, and like you said, you're know, talking with friends and family. Uh, as you all become more aware, uh, you make that awareness to others, and and just just becomes an educational thing people's opinions start to change when they realize that well wow, okay the this whitish pinkish looking pork chop that I can get at Walmart or this pork chop that you put down that lo- almost looks like a beefsteak because it's so red you know that that's kind of the first thing you see people raise their eyebrows and say well this doesn't look like a pork chop and because they're not they're not used to that so that's usually where that education starts
2: yeah definitely I'm excited about it
1: so you said something there that, that uh, piqued my uh, attention. Um, Oklahoma started an initiative where it was Oklahoma Fed and Oklahoma Raised. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, I can't remember the exact thing. It's like Oklahoma Bread, Oklahoma Raised, Oklahoma Fed. Oh, okay. Um, it's a special sticker you can put on your meat um, to sell in stores. Hmm. Um, and it's an initiative the, the governor put out to help, help our farmers. You know, there's a lot of the... Whole foreign meat coming in the country. There's a whole issue behind that. And I think it was just their way of trying to help the local farmers
0: out. Yeah, I
1: like that. I like that. And I think that's something, my goodness, I think um, anything that we can do to underscore supporting local farmers and and local food. I mean, COVID, if anything, has revealed the weaknesses we have in our our big industrial ag process. So being able to underscore local, buying local. excuse me, is really going to help in that situation. So that's good, that's a good initiative. I'd, I'd like to see more states do that. Okay, so Scott, looking uh, further down the road, so if if, if you could pull out your, your pig crystal ball here and say, where do I want to be in five years? What's your thoughts on that with uh, the nine acres, uh, whether your breed line works out one way or the other? What's five years down the road look like to you?
2: Uh, five years down the road is less about the products and more about the roadmap to the products. And that's kind of where the Angry Vet Ag comes from. I think COVID highlighted a lot of issues within the veteran community um, that has kind of been overlooked because of everything else going on. And uh, I saw a lot of vets kind of in pain. And then, you know, I was getting into this homesteading thing, and they have a whole bunch of programs out there for veterans to do agricultural but the information on it is lacking or it's not there's not a clear course of how to get there so what i would like to be doing is bringing veterans here and teaching them how to set their farm set their farm up get you know get your licenses done um get your business up and running how to garden how to raise pigs how to do all this other stuff and then how to get access to those programs and kind of that, that's kind of my focus for the farm is to be more of a teaching farm for veterans specifically. You know? And Man. maybe if the pigs work out, I'll be selling them to high high end restaurant. Yeah, that would be a dream. But I really like
1: to be teaching. Yeah, and that's, that's great. And, and, and God bless you for that. Hey, hey, first, you know, thank you as a veteran for your service. Uh, but but I yeah, you really struck a nerve there that that resonates with me. So. Um, We've seen. I, I have friends in the area. West Virginia has an inordinate amount of veterans. Uh, I like to think that uh, you know, we're a small state, but we we have I think one of the highest percentages of, of residents that go into the military. And uh, military is is very close to my heart. Uh, I did not serve, unfortunately, but my dad and my grandfather both served. And uh, and you see these these opportunities that are popping up that just really excites me because. Uh, uh, I think we have boots to bees here in in West Virginia, and maybe that's even broader. Uh, we've been uh, there's been an initiative to take some old strip mines and reclaim those for lavender production because they uh, they actually are suited for that, um, and, and of course these uh, veterans initiatives that tie to that. So it's exciting to hear you talk about that as well. So from your perspective, what have you seen? Um, in in Oklahoma? Are there specific initiatives that you're seeing that are helping vets when it comes to ag, or is this something you're going to have to kind of pioneer on your own?
2: I've seen a couple things. Um, I miss the timing on all the federal grants and local state grants, Um, and it's just, I don't know who does their marketing, but it's really hard to find information on it, (laughs) Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to do, is be a little bit more boisterous about all the programs that are out nothing there's nothing better than a little bit of dirt therapy get out and come out to the farm and do some work learn something you know it it, it quiets the mind a little bit um i've looked a little bit into the initiatives here in oklahoma and like i said the information is minimal um and there's not a clear like set process of how to do certain projects but they do have um internships for veterans um, to help them learn about um, agriculture. But that's more of like go to someone else's farm and learn that. And that doesn't really suit me. So I was looking more for, you know, the grants and the education. I think the education would be the biggest part. Mm. Um, like I said, they just don't talk about it enough. They're not vocal on what's out
1: there. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think you definitely have an opportunity there to be a knowledge base, um, to be a, a an information liaison between... Uh, the veterans and the government entities. Like you say, I I think that's, for some reason, that's the standard for most government agencies is do a terrible job of, of displaying their information and actually marketing their services. But I yeah, I think that could definitely fill a void there where people could come to you and, and you've been trained and you've got enough experience to say, yeah, here's all the things offered by Oklahoma, here's all the things offered federally, and then here's even uh, you know, nonprofit third party type opportunities for grants associated with veterans. That that would be, you know, a useful, very useful tool. That's the plan, and I wanna another
2: one of my goals is I'm the I love listening to podcasts, but I'm not much of a YouTube watcher because mm-hmm. I can't sit still for five minutes. Gotcha. So that's the other thing is I want to kind of pack all this information in a five-minute video each thing. You know, you go to YouTube and you type in how to raise chickens and then there's a 30-minute video and then the answer's right at the end. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yep,
1: yep, that's for sure.
2: So I'd like to have it just as quick as I can answer your question and tell you how I do it. You know, I have done some screw-ups on the farm. And uh, I'm hoping that through my screw-ups I'll learn and, and I can teach others how to do it without screwing up. Yeah,
1: good deal, good deal. All right, well, Scott, a question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and uh, you're not going to be any different. You can't escape this. Um, what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture so far?
2: My favorite part is that on boar. His name is Oink, and he is just a character. You know, he was, before we got the Berkshire's, he was, he was just a dog (laughs) yeah he would wrestle with the dogs and he'd come running up to you with his ears flopping in the breeze and that's just the the coolest thing to have a have a cute little floppy-eared pig running around the farm doing his thing and playing with the dogs and you know that's 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 it right there i love i love watching that pig run around and have fun and dance and sprint with the dogs and then uh the other thing I really like is listening to them eat celery or carrot. <laughs> yeah. Such a satisfying crunch. Right. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's great to be able to sit out there and just hang out with them while they're chowing down that's, that's it, I
0: love
1: it. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, it sounds like your uh, your Michon boar is, is set up for a very, very good life. He'll he'll it sounds like he'll be a farm staple for a while there.
2: He's definitely a pet. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That happens from time to time for sure. Well, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. If people want to find out more about uh, your operation right now, you do have some social media set up, correct?
2: Yeah, I have uh, Facebook and Instagram, Angry Vet Ag. Um, that's about it. No website yet. Okay. Not that technologically advanced. I got you.
1: Well, that that'll come in time. All right, so yeah, I'll I'll post some information down in the uh, uh, show notes there where you guys can check him out. And man, we'll uh, we'll you'll have to keep me up to date on how that's going out. Maybe we'll circle back around uh, next year and see how the, your uh, your breeding worked out and what your takeaway was from it.
2: Yeah, that'd be pretty
1: cool. All right, well, man, I uh, I pray you have a great holiday week. You get to spend some quality time out in the pasture. Take care, Scott. Well, I enjoyed that conversation with Scott. Hope you all did, too. Uh, Again, it's nice to see uh, this veteran initiative really uh, take off and and love to see more of that happen. So we may have to circle back around with Scott uh, maybe a year or so down the road, Lord willing, and just see how things have worked out for him. Well, as I'm recording these uh, bumpers for this specific interview, it is a couple days before Christmas, so I would be remiss if I didn't uh, wish all of you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year's. Hopefully 2021 will be less craptastic than 2020 and I pray that we can all have a a profitable year and that we could have uh, some good experiences and some expansion in our pig operations. Well, as usual, if you all know of anyone that would need to be on the podcast, you'd want to be on the podcast yourself, specific topics we need to address. Uh, I would love to get schedules loaded up for first quarter of 2021 to keep this ball rolling so by all means if you're listening to this over the holiday week and you want to pontificate on some upcoming topics then by all means drop me a note troy at redtoolhouse.com would be the easiest way to email me or if you actually want to put in the request for an interview then just go to redtoolhouse.com Go to the Pastured Pig podcast link, and you will see a very simple contact form, just a couple easy questions, and it helps me figure out who I'm going to talk to and and some of the background there, and that would be great. Well, that's going to wrap it up, and we'll talk to you guys on the next one. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com